everyone. Welcome back to Deep Focus. <laughs> <laughs> we are in the car again. Yep. Repeat of Tenant. We are on our way to watch 007, the new one, whatever it's no called. No Time to Die. No Time to Die. Yep. There we go. Uh, so we'll just give some of our thoughts preceding uh, our watching of it, and then we'll give you our episode afterwards uh, immediately. Um, we have talked about 007 probably two times, two or three times briefly on this podcast. It was mostly during Tenet, right? Yeah, I think so, because that was sort yeah, of... It, it was a just thing for Nolan's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was a... So, why don't you go ahead and give them an overview again of your whole issue with the new Daniel Craig Yes. Um, so, I do like them. I think they're good movies, and I think they're really, really well made. Um, I think that the issue is that they lost a lot of the James Bond uh, crowd, okay. right? Um, just because, like, you know, there was always a difference to me between something like James Bond and Jason Bourne, right? And yeah. James Bond being more about, like, the spectacle, the larger-than-life villains. You know, you always have, like, uh, some henchman in it that's very iconic, mm-hmm. you know, who ends up dying in a... Super villain. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then... Here comes the driving, everyone. <laughs> and then you have um, obviously like the gadgets and the and like the easy action, almost. You know, like you know, James, like you get James Bond running away from a helicopter with you know it shooting after him, and you know it just lines up on both sides of him, and he jumps off a cliff. Yeah. You know, <laughs> or he rides a motorcycle off a cliff. You know jumps off of it into a skydive to skydive into a helicopter to pull it up before it hits the ground, right? Yeah. That's like quintessential. Yeah, and, and like personally I think um, I think uh, Mission Impossible kind of picked up the bottom mantle in the two, the last two especially. Yeah. Um, but I think that Mission Impossible has always been more about the stunts. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think as far as the new ones go, I think Casino Royale and uh, what's it called uh, Skyfall. Skyfall are very good, um, and I think that those are like really good Bond movies. But I think Quantum of Solace is a really good spy movie and just not a Bond movie. Um, and then I thought Spectre was pretty bad. Yeah. But, well, I'd also like to point out because I I agree with somewhat of what Nick is saying here, but. I do have my own take a little bit. I like the new Bond movies. And... Like as Bond. Yeah, as Bond. And uh, I would say, yeah, you would be able to say that Quantum of Solace is not the best Bond movie. There's no doubt in that. Um, But even if you look at, like, all the (laughs) preceding Bond movies with all the different Bonds, Mm -hmm. there's bad Bond movies that were... No, for sure, for sure. You know what I mean? I don't think it's just an issue of quality that gets you... You know, to fit within this definition of being a Bond movie, well, and when no, you I mean, look at something like I Quantum of Solace, it does have like quality. the, the yes. choppers and the gadgets and this sort of thing. Well, but like he gets into a shootout in a bar with like two guys and like gets gravely injured. Yeah, and like that's an yeah. extremely realistic situation, right? And, and like normally, you know, you know me, I like that in movies. You know, I'm like, yeah, I but like, like that, there is, but... it's not. You're right. When you go farther back, there is a, this little bit more of a goofy pace to it. But I think that's just uh, not even goofy. I'd say that's not even far word. back. Like I'd say, like Pierce Brosnan. Had well, a lot of that well too. there's he got like his Bond got like thrown in jail, right? 
there was that one bond that he did where he was like thrown in jail you know like this idea of the invincibility of I mean him. but I mean like he, he was doing Goldeneye right which is the one where he jumps off the cliff with the yeah um, uh, motorbike and skydives into the <laughs> helicopter yeah right and like um, I don't know like there was that like that one about the giant laser in Antarctica that was gonna yeah. kind of forget what it was but like you know the, the bad guys are always larger than life which is why I really like Skyfall right because like it took this idea of the larger than life villain really brought like a um, really brought a uh, more realistic angle to it you know it's like you know, that's not the type of villain that you would see in real life Yeah. you know um, but like that, I think like Quantum of Solace that is the type of villain you'd see in real life you know, that's the type of scheme that, like, you see happening around you. Yeah. You know? Um, well, my, my whole thing is, like, I don't think realism in and of itself is anything that conflicts with James Bond. And that's just what I'm sort of sure. pointing out. And yeah. I would and say, I, as you go along the, the timeline of Bond movies, they have become slightly more realistic. And it's not, like, a new thing with Daniel Craig. It's just that, you know... I guess, it, it to but the, the thing level. is, it's not realism because I would say that like Skyfall is realistic, right? Yeah, but like I think, Absolutely. I think I think it's just being like, like I think the whole idea of the, the Bond movie is that it's larger than life. For example, Mission yeah. Impossible Fallout was like a larger than life plot. You know, it had to do with like a nuke and. Like, well, I agree with you, you know, that it's larger than life, but I don't see necessarily how Quantum say, Solace Quantum isn't. Solace isn't well, wasn't the whole thing about like some village not getting water because no it was about you know, owning water rights for like almost the entire world or something uh, I thought it was just like, by, some, like inducing a drought and then owning I thought it was just some area yeah like but it's Mexico, it's larger than life Latin in the America. sense of what's happening on the on the screen in terms of you know there's the opera with the secret group of villains that he's got to infiltrate and then there's the helicopter chase and all of that kind of stuff yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just felt like a... I mean, Casino Royale, <laughs> if that's the definition, then like Casino Royale's not very larger than life either, right? That's and a good that's point. Like well, the, yeah. the quintessential novels. That's uh, true. So. Yeah, and I guess, like, th- there's a big difference between, like, maybe these these guys are just fans of the books. Yeah. You know? I, yeah, and I like I said, I agree with a lot of about how you view James Bond and what it is. I think we probably have a just a small disagreement in well, terms I mean, of taste. But the thing is, like, I like all the movies still. Like, yeah. there's not, besides Spectre, I, I like all of them, right? And Spectre was only a small fix to I think fix another it, thing right? about this, right, is if you were to make a James Bond movie, this is so out there, right? Like, maybe one day we'll be lucky enough. Yeah. <laughs> Good fortune, you know? Yeah. But if you were to make a James Bond movie, you would probably look more, have more inspiration in the past in terms of James Bond movies. And I would be like, oh, yeah. I'm picking up the Daniel Craig mantle, the Sam Mendes <laughs> mantle, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, I think well, there's just a part of taste here as well. Sure, sure. Well, but I mean, like, I like these new James Bonds. That's something that I feel like I don't want to make it seem like I yeah. hate them, right? Because yeah, I don't. Clear. Yeah. Right? Like, I just think, like, from a, from a producing standpoint, they lost the crowd that they had. Like, because they had captivated a crowd with this, like, larger-than-life spy who's, like, this... You know, who's very suave with the women, who's very mysterious, you don't know his past, he's, like, brilliant and uh, so adept at everything. You know, he's, he's just, like, this this ideal of a spy, right? He's the spy that all the spies talk about, right? You, you honestly don't think they got that? In like, I Casino Royale and Quantum Solace? I, I don't really think so. And I would argue that I maybe so. Inspector they didn't either. Well, I, I think Sam Mendes knocked it out of the park with Skyfall. 
Yeah, I, I think they did. I think they got the swab. That's what I was about to say. Oh, no, saying, they got the, the swab. They got the, yeah, they got that. Of James uh, Bond being the character, these ones do as well as the others. Right, If right. there's anything to get angry about, it might be some gadgets, might be some tone stuff. Uh, well, I think that's what a lot of people were angry about. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, that's what, that's all I'm saying is, like, they lost that whole crowd because they... I don't think they actually lost them, though. There's just some people that were mad online, you know, or, you know... I don't know. I, th- I think that... I mean, these, I these think they might have dropped them have been fairly successful. Uh, well, because, like, when you think three. about... Uh, when you think about, like, after Casino Royale, uh, Quantum Solace's first week was okay, right? And after Quantum Solace... Uh, Skyfall's first week was abysmal, and then like it picked up later because everyone realized it was really good, right? And I don't then, think it was abysmal. Was it genuinely abysmal? Yeah, I, I was think working it, at I the think theater was, at that time, and I like that being packed. Really? Yeah. Like I thought it was like way it performed way under what they thought. I it was think Casino Royale did very good, and then Quantum Souls didn't do as good, but still did good. Yeah. And. Skyfall blew it out of the fucking park, you know. It's yeah, yeah. I remember, real, I remember right? Skyfall being theaters for a long time too. Yeah, and like, Inspector in terms of money did good, but you've always made the point that's because of the. Usually, you can chalk that up to the previous one, at least a good chunk of it. Right, right. Well, when you have like the when you when the first week is good and then it yeah. doesn't stay in theaters for a long time, yeah. that means that it's all due to your previous. Yeah. Film, right. Um. But I don't know. I think that like. I do think I, I would disagree that I I would say that the especially Quantum of Souls is a very grounded spy movie. You know? Like sure you can say what you want about this the perceived scope of the villain's plan. Yeah. You know? And like cause inducing a drought isn't really like as intense as some of the and like I guess it doesn't have to be, but then like also you look at the action and stuff, right? And like, I specifically pointed out that one scene in Tenet that I was like, oh yeah, remember that scene when like, yeah, he the, was in the kitchen and yeah. he beats up all those dudes, right? And, like, it's it's no problem for him. He's, he's totally kick-ass. And I'm like, that's that's James Bond, right? Yeah, I see that, but I also don't think, uh, you know, like, he, he took some blows as well. Not in that scene, but throughout the movie. Sure, but, I mean, like, when... When you just I don't have think two random, like I mean, that. like when you have two random dudes in a bar, right, and you start a shootout with them, and yeah. like you wouldn't expect Bond to barely make it out of that alive, right? No, I agree. I, I I can agree with some of that, but I don't mind taking it different places. I don't mind Daniel Craig being tortured at the end of Casino Royale. I think that's like in terms of trying new things. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't think like that's the thing, the qualitative thing that makes the difference between it being a Bond movie and not a Bond. Movie. Right, right. Well, and what I noticed, too, is that a lot of people that didn't like Bond movies, that I always called them, like, cheesy crap, right? Like, those people really liked Casino Royale. Yeah. Right? And, like... Well, there is that aspect. I mean, I like it, but there is the aspect you have, like, Jaws on the screen. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. Like, his well, whole thing that's, is... that's the point to me, is that it's always been... And he's biting through cables. Right, right. Well, it's always been, like, a little ridiculous. You have Odd Job with his, like, steel-ripped hat that he can throw into yeah. anything, right? Like, that's... But as I said, like, it trends over, like, the lifespan... Sure. ...of uh, 007. It's always... It's, trended towards slightly more realism, slightly more, slightly more. Right, and like, last time we got into Bond-like films, and how, like, I, I do believe that because Bond dropped 
the ball in that regard. Right. Yeah. Um, a lot of people wanted to pick up this crowd of like these yeah, people that were thirsting for this like larger genre. Yeah, yeah, exactly. More Which like we made the argument last time that like Bond was Bond is almost sci-fi, right? Yeah, there's an element. There's like, like, a, like a, it's almost like Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction sci-fi. Yeah, yeah, and, but know. it's like not the you know not the movie, but the yeah, yeah, Pulp no, Fiction. Sure. <laughs> yeah, um, but like you have. Like, that's what I would argue is gone in everything except for maybe Spectre. Right? Yeah. Um, and I guess, like, even in Spectre, it's there very lightly. But all I'm saying... Or, sorry, not Spectre. Skyfall. Yeah. Right? Even in Skyfall, it's there very lightly. But then you you have this bad guy who's, like, hacking systems and can, like, reroute a train to, like, you know, blast through a wall right at the right time. You know? <laughs> like, that kind of thing. Where it's like, you know, th- these are larger-than-life things that, like... You know, some hacker wouldn't have the ability to do that in real life. Yeah. You know? Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> and then you, you have the dude with the with the facial implant, you know? Because mm-hmm. there's cyanide burned away all this... Like, that, it's that just such so an cool. iconic... Yeah, it's so fucking... Well, Harvey you know, Barton you know? is just like Right, right. Legend. But all I mean is, like... Fucking legend. Yeah. Like, Skyfall hit all the notes of James Bond, even though it was yeah. a, a lot more grounded. It's interesting right. about that as well is Sam Mendes said that part of his inspiration for Skyfall was the Dark Knight in terms of that Nolan had opened his eyes in terms of what you can actually do with a blockbuster. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's just interesting. And then the thing of Tenet, you know. Eventually, right, right. I think, you know, I think we probably will see Nolan 007. I really hope so. Yeah, I think we will. Especially yeah. if he doesn't get to do another. I mean, to Tenet be fair, sequel. it is like Tenet is basically a Bond movie. Like, yeah, but he, he doesn't know. make the character double. No, no, of course not. Well, he didn't have the IP yeah. either. Well, so. yeah, but in fact, he doesn't even try to do an imitation. I mean, this is a guy who gets think, well, joked about yeah, in terms of I think what suit good, he's wearing. Though, you know what I mean? Know? Yeah, yeah. I think it's good, though, that, like... No, I agree. I don't think he should have, but yeah. I'm just saying, like, he genuinely didn't try to, like, oh, I'll just make my own 007 character. Right, right. But I would say that Tenet hits a lot of the same notes as James Bond. Yeah. And so does Mission Impossible Fallout, I think. Um, and I would argue to some degree Kingsman does too, except I think it's a lot more like cartoony. Yeah, there's a, yeah, uh, definitely. But yeah, spy films are completely underrated as a genre, frankly. Uh, maybe they're not actually underrated, but they're not made. There's not enough made of them, frankly. They're yeah. So yeah. fucking good. Even like the small you know, ones that were cobbled together by, like, seven different production companies. Like, mm-hmm. I, there was that one that we watched with Pierce Bronson in it with uh, Jackie Chan. You know, like, that's that was, like, a spy movie. I don't think I've seen that. No. It oh, was wait, wait, oh, Forever, yeah, yeah. right? Or oh, something yeah, yeah. Like that. I, I did see that. Yeah, yeah we saw, saw it together, together in theaters. Yeah. Uh, they're just so good. They're so fucking good. Uh, very good genre. I would put it up yeah. there with horror in terms of, like, something to aspire to do. Right, right. Well, and, and, like, that's kind of... I think that's kind of my point where like you know you have um, you have very like specific conventions that I think Bond film viewers uh, not necessarily the fans of the book but the fans of the films have come to expect right and not to say that those things make the movie good or bad right because like I've seen a lot of bad Bond movies that follow the conventions right Um, but like you know, you, then you can have really good Bond movies that follow the conventions, like Skyfall. Yeah. Right? 
And I would argue that, like, while... Actually, I would say while Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace didn't follow the conventions, they were still good movies. Right? Yeah. But I think that that's why there were complaints online. That's probably why they, like, you know, suffered in terms... Because, like, I I feel like your average film viewer isn't going to really care. Mm -hmm. Right? Because, like, it's... It's good either way, right? No, I agree. But, like, when you look at people who love the cinematic Bond universe, you know, like, they're they're expecting a certain thing. And I think that that's, that's always something that I've always said, is, like, when, when you're going to bring yourself into a, an existing IP, you want to leave your ego at the doorstep and just, like, do the thing. Yeah. Right? But and I do think that Sam Mendes has proved that you can mesh both no, the totally, original totally, idea right. with something new. Well, and that's why I love Skyfall, you know. And I would argue that it's maybe the best Bond movie ever. All right, well, we're pulling up, everyone. I would say, as one last thought that I will address when we come back in, um, I'm worried about this film in one way, primarily, in the sense that Spectre is so forgettable that I don't know what I'm really walking into knowing that this is kind of a continuation of those characters. Well, I mean, they said that it was over after Spectre, so, like, this is just a whole new thing, right? No, it's the same characters. Well, it's I know, like but, Christoph like, it's... Waltz in it and the girl that he oh, ran really? away with. Yeah. Okay, so it's, like, a continuation of yeah. the last one? Okay. Well, they all have been. They've all been See, connected. okay, here's here's what I'm worried about. Quantum of Solace was connected to yeah. Casino Royale. Skyfall was connected to Quantum of Solace. I know, I know, but uh, these producers, like, and you could tell this during Spectre at the end where they kind of just, like, they showed how all three yeah. uh, things work together, all three films work together, and then they kind of, like, threw Skyfall in there and been like, oh, yeah, this too, which didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, relative to like what they were trying to make in the plot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I feel like these producers are so um, adamant on trying to get their storyline across and being like, and like from what I've heard about them, they kind of have this mentality that people are just like aren't getting it and it's their fault. Oh, you know. And, well, like, I would be interested after this if they tried to go back to more episodic approach to. That's what I'm hoping. I mean, I'm a little worried because it's not it's not completely linear. Like if you watch the other ones, like you can watch them independently and totally. not be totally yeah. missing out. So I'm hoping they can at least continue that. But we'll see. Maybe that Anyways, we got like a minute so. before it starts. All right, let's get in there. All right, see you guys after. See you. All right, we're back. We have seen it. I'll address what we left off on. Which is, yeah, you don't need to really have an articulate memory of Spectre to watch this. So that's good. Definitely not. Um, Where was Felix from? I feel like he was definitely from one of the last movies. Oh, by the way, sorry, before we... uh, Spoilers ahead. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to spoil the whole movie. Um, It was really good. Yeah. Um, We were saying, uh, I think... Skyfall's still the best, but this is in competition with Casino Royale. Yeah, and I was saying that I think... Uh, Casino Royale is a better movie. I would actually even argue that Quantum of Solace might be a better movie, too. Um, I don't know about that. But... And I, I defend Quantum of Solace more than you do. <laughs> I think it's at least third place. Okay, sure, sure. Um, but I think this is the second best Bond movie. Okay. Um, in terms of um, being a Bond film. Um, like, as, as far as, like... And just to reiterate, as, just, like, if it was a spy thriller... You know, I would put Casino Royale ahead of this and maybe Quantum Solace be tied. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of a Bond film, I would say it goes Skyfall than this. 
Yeah, it, it was really good. Um, visually, it was stunning. It was up there with Skyfall in terms of the visuals. You know, it's just absolutely yeah, uh, amazing. This guy was like a master of at, like paying homage to things without like um, getting taking away from it. Yeah, or yeah, exactly taking away from the story. But then also like they did things like the. Um, like the cheesy one-liner, which we were talking about, we totally forgot that was like a Bond trope. Yeah. You know, it was that Bond always had like uh, he, so he blew up the guy's eye and he said uh, it really blew his mind. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I showed him your watch; it really blew his mind. There was a lot of humor in this one. There was yeah. more humor, I think, in this in this uh, Daniel Craig Bond than any of the others. Am I going to be? Yeah, right, it's right here. Okay. Um, it was appropriately placed, though. I thought. No, I thought so yeah. too. And the old ones are like dripping with humor as well. Yeah. You know I mean, so it was yeah, really yeah. nice to see that come back. This, this honestly felt the most like a Bond movie. Yeah. To me, like, if I'm if I'm using your definition of a Bond movie, then yeah, yeah this is most like the classic Bond. Right. Like I would still put Skyfall at the top just because it was so good. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just legendary. Yeah. Um, They'll just have to let me know when we're gonna get off. Man. Okay. Yeah, well, um, but yeah, like, uh, so has Bond died in a Bond film before? Or is this the first no, time? No, I think this is the first time, bro. Okay. I think this I, is I'm not 100% sure how I feel about that. I, I'm good with it. I like, like that there, there's I mean, I like, like it a in the completion movie. aspect to Daniel Craig's Bond. Right, right, right. Uh, saga. Um, I just mean in terms, yeah, yeah, I guess. But I mean, they could have done something where they just like let him... Yeah, right off in the sunset, yeah, or not yeah, even yeah. a happy ending, but like, you know, he gets the he gets the stuff on him, and he's like, you can never see them again. Yeah, yeah. you know, and then he has to like, right off. Always been watching. Yeah, from afar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, that would have felt more like mysterious. I don't know. Um, yeah, I liked it though. They, yeah. they earned it, and they did the you know they did, they did the full you know singing violins at the end. Yeah, I always like it when people go full ten to ten at the ending. Yeah, yeah. I actually kind of wish they gave it um, a little more time beforehand, a little less time with the death itself. Yeah. You know. But I, I agree with that. They probably could have done it slightly, ever so slightly better. But I prefer them just going for it than being self-conscious. And sure, yeah, totally. There's a lot yeah, of totally. that are self-conscious. Yeah. So, um, uh, anyways, what you were saying about uh, the CIA guy, right, that died, Felix? Yeah, yeah. He was, he's in there from Casino Royale. Right. Yeah, it was he's the first one. poker yeah. table. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, was he in Skyfall at all? Uh, or Spectre? I think he could have been in Spectre. He could have been yeah. in either of them. I'm not sure. Yeah. Like, having a hard time placing it. It's been so long since I've seen the other ones. But, no, no, it's just keep going. Okay. Um, but... Also, can you look up the director? Oh, his name? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, it's like... I'm going to butcher it. It's like Fukuyama or something. Like that. Dude, also, I fucking loved Anna Darmus' character in this. Yeah, that was a really little sequence. Yeah, dude, she was like... She kicked ass. Oh, yeah. And they like even they were even self-referential to how great that sequence was. Yeah. <laughs> At the end there, he's like, you were amazing. But, like, I was, I was like enthralled with that character. I was like... I want to see more of her on the screen. It was, like, I was sad that, like, we didn't get, get more of her. Yeah, she's been amazing pretty much everything I've seen her in. Yeah, but, like, 
I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's like this jubilant kind of character that's just like very excited about, yeah, yeah. you know, being a spy. Um, <laughs> I just finished training. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that whole thing, the whole uh, shot of whiskey or was it scotch in the middle of their firefight. Yeah, yeah. And Bond just goes yeah, yeah, blazing, yeah. guns blazing. <laughs> that, you know, there's a lot of great set pieces. Yeah, yeah, that's the same amount of them. The one where the scientist gets stolen. That's another the one. Whole, the bar fight with the whole, you know. I feel like that's another Bond thing, too, that you, you need to have, like, amazing just set yeah. pieces to work around. I mean, the ending area is just an amazing. It's just an incredible design, you know what I mean? It, yeah, yeah. It's very evocative. Yeah. Very imaginative. Um, but, I mean, this had, like, heavy use of gadgets in comparison to the rest of them, too. Yeah. Like, there was a lot of... And, and it wasn't, like... It wasn't, it wasn't, like, overdone or anything, you know? No, I mean, they hit um, everything. Uh, they hit everything. I was talking to you. I feel like the only thing that the Daniel Craig Bonds, other than possibly, you could say, Quan Solis, really have an indulgence in terms of all the 007 tropes is the womanizing. Right. But when, it, when this one hit everything other than that. Right, right, which might just be a product of the time. So yeah, yeah. Just a... It had the cars. New, more sensible James Bond. (laughs) (laughs) It had the cars at the very beginning. It had the, you know, the flying, all the different kinds of guns and gadgets. Yep. Um, Full watch. Christoph Waltz had an amazing singular scene in the film. I don't know, why are we not seeing as much Christoph Waltz as as we used to? He came out like a storm now that he's just like not in that much at all. Yeah, maybe. I, 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 just from his personality, I imagine it's by his choice, but... Probably. You know. Um, oh, yeah, I was looking up the director. Because um, yeah. I feel like I, I've watched this guy's stuff before. I just don't... I need to remember his name in his filmography. Because that name's so familiar to me. It's, part of me wants to say that he directed the first season of True Detective, but that could be just a horrible... Carrie uh, uh, K- Joji Fukunaga? Yeah, yeah. Either way, he yeah, was great. Okay. Yeah, you just look up No Time to Die. Yeah, here I am. Um, so, yeah, American Born uh, helped with the screenplay on it. Uh, yeah, it's this next season. Um, let me see. He's been a producer on a couple things. He made uh, Sint Nombre. I have okay. Um, he was an uh, executive producer on What's it? Directed. Um, let's see. Um, IMDb just changed their whole... Their whole layout. Layout. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, okay, I got it. Um, so No Time to Die... Uh, Maniac, Beasts of No Nation. Uh, he did direct Beasts some of no Nation. Yeah, the, yeah, it's the first. Uh, oh, he did the Jane Eyre movie. Yeah, Jane Eyre. That's yeah. an amazing movie, and I think it's the first season of True Detective. So I was right. I love this guy. This guy's uh, fucking amazing. Yeah, 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 dude, he's awesome. First season of True Detective is one of the best things ever, and Jane Eyre. That movie hit me fucking hard when I watched. It. I saw that like. Five six years ago. Yeah. But um. Yeah, that's awesome. He did a great like. Yeah, right here. I feel like this might have been my favorite 
like in terms of me liking it. Yeah. Of the new dinner personal taste. Yeah, just because like you know it, it does hit all those James Bond. Like I really felt like I was watching a James Bond movie this whole time. Yeah. You know, and like while I would argue that Skyfall is a better film overall, like you know, this really does hit every single aspect of what James Bond is. Minus the womanizing, as you pointed out, but yeah. Um, or there was like deep romance in this one as well, which I like. And, I know, actually there was prefer like flirting too. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. But it just doesn't take it as far as the other ones. Have. Right, right. And I prefer, frankly, I prefer this uh, commitment to romance as opposed to the womanizing. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, no. Um, also, like kicked ass the whole time, right? Yeah, I got it. Um, yeah, he, he like. There, I feel like there was no point when there was like he was even when he was getting taking hits and stuff like there was never a point where he wasn't kicking ass yeah you know oh man that part where he like broke the dude's arm oh yeah yeah that was intense yeah yeah it's pretty cool yeah yeah um, if they if they went for the R rating they could have done a little extra there yeah. <laughs> just a little extra with the sound yeah <laughs> see some white stuff see. well I mean like I, I think like <laughs> I think like <laughs> The thing about that scene was, like, I think what really sold it was Daniel Craig. No, absolutely. Yeah, that scream. Like, that was that was just an amazing acting moment, in my opinion. So this is the guy that did uh, Freddie Mercury. What's his uh, name again? Uh, for the or Arch villain. something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Raimi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Uh, what is it? Uh, but he's incredible. He is... Uh, Randy Malik. Okay. Yeah. He was in this television show I started watching. I haven't, I haven't finished it, but like six, seven years ago, I think it's called like Mr. Robot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was really interesting. And then, of course, he started getting these acting gigs, but he was great. Just yeah. from that initial scene, not even the fact that we opened up on him, <clears throat> but that initial scene in the therapist's office. Um, I, I don't know. You know, it's cliche. Everyone likes it. I'll admit my taste in this is plebeian <laughs> and probably be, you know and not to say just because something's mainstream is plebeian but I love it when genuine uh, crazy people are acted on the screen so yeah, fucking yeah. well I, everyone loves it alright yeah. it doesn't make it bad but I just eat that shit up mm-hmm. when you have someone really doing crazy well in a unique way yeah yeah um, but yeah I like a, that was also a different that's something that there was actually a difference from, at least in my perspective, from what I can remember, compared to all the older Bond movies, is that we don't open up on Bond. We open up... Hey, you um, know what? I just realized they did exactly what we were saying would be the good thing to do for Spectre, right? Which, mm-hmm. like... Like, they opened up with the with the necessary backstory. Yeah. Right, with the, expo- with the expository scene, right? Okay. And, like, um, what's it called? Um... In that, uh, if you want, we can just take it outside. Oh, we can just roll down the windows. Sure. Just keep the heat going. Does mine roll down? I'm smoking, guys. <laughs> I highly recommend it. Lucky Strike Reds. Okay, you can taste <laughs> the chemicals. Does mine even roll down? Uh, it should. Oh, I, I thought it locked. Oh, okay. Just made that shit. There we go. There you go. Okay. Yeah. So, what's it called? What are they talking about? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, they opened up. I was saying how they don't normally in 007 movies open up on the villain. Uh, right. And they did in this one. 
thing you were talking about exposition right right because in skyfall there were a lot of moments when like we um you know we were revealed something but we didn't have the necessary exposition to be able to understand what that reveal was yeah right and in this um it would have been similar like imagine if they had opened up on a on a shot of bond kicking ass in mexico in this one right and then you know yeah. We got to that scene where he's in the he's in yeah, her he office and he the reveals mask, the mask, and then there's the flashback. Right, there, there were, well, there would have been no context there because, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. if this was Spectre, what would have happened is like we would have seen her reaction to that mask and we would have moved on, mm-hmm. right? And then it would have been told to us in a monologue at the end of the movie, and we're like, that's not cool. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I think this this way was great to like you know he opens the box and you get that. I mean, you, you know beforehand, but because mm-hmm. of his mouth and stuff, but. uh you know the moment when he pulls the, the box open you see the mask and you get her you get to be a part of the whole moment the which I think is, yeah and, and you're right there with the characters and I think that that's way more effective um, yeah but yeah she's great as well I mean everyone in this film is just fucking good they're just firing yeah. all cylinders even yeah. the guy who uh, plays the uh, double agent the double CIA agent who ends up backstabbing you know mm-hmm. uh, I've seen him in a lot of like quasi comedy stuff but he did really good in this oh well. he did he, he really did yeah yeah, yeah. Um, um, I like how his character evolved too to, from like this kind of rookie green seeming like um, agent to this yeah you know backstabber yeah, he really showed his true colors, and he was still like, you know, he was saying at the beginning he smiles too much. Like he was still smiling a lot, but it was there's a sinisterness to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, which I thought was cool. Um, um, but then, uh, what's it called? They had the henchman with the with the eye, with the fucked up eye. The robotic, right. the bionic eye. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it was, and like, what was it? It was like a direct connection to. Um, to Christoph Waltz. Yeah, so he was like a proxy for the Max security prison. Yeah. Which was, that was a cool moment. Like, That's I, like another like mini set piece, right? Yeah, yeah. When they're bringing him out, it's just really well done. A lot, lots of imagination and really good execution. That's another thing about this is they use a classic trick where they're like, "Oh, let's get the bad guys from the last movie, mm-hmm. and let's have the new bad guys totally fuck those bad guys <laughs> over, yeah. so you know it's business is fucking real." Yeah, it's such a classic trick, but they pulled it off so well. Oh yeah, that the the banquet scene where they shine the spotlight on Bond yeah I guess it wasn't a banquet it was like a ball sort of but um no that was cool that was cool that whole moment Uno reverse card yeah (laughs) 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 yeah Yeah. Yeah. that was great it's very good but um yeah I mean like I mean I wouldn't say I would say that this falls into the category of like entertainment film Sure. Right, like really good entertainment film. Oh, and I'd say that Bond as a whole does as well. Yeah, you know. Um, what do you think the line is there? Do you think that has to do mostly with the quality of the insight, almost? Well, I think it. I think it depends on what you're serving at every given moment, right? Because like if you, if you're serving, um, if you're serving the insight at the cost of, I mean, you think it's something like uh, I, I just watched uh, Wind River recently. Okay, yeah. Right? That's and, great. Yeah. And, like, there are moments of that that are genuinely unpleasant to watch. Oh, yeah. You know? Time. And it's, like... Um, and it, it's it's kind of, like... I'd say 90% of the film is, like, 
um, I don't know, anxiety driven, you know, right. and, and like it's, it's, but the point is to serve an insight. Right. Right. And this is um, the primary for No Time to Die is to is, entertain. Is to entertain you, the audience. Yeah. Right. And like, I, I'm not saying that the, the lines can't be crossed, you know, that like a, a film meant to entertain can't have an insight or a film with an insight um, can't be entertaining. Yeah. But I think what your primary drive is, you know, is what kind of film you're making. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, it's common sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Um, so I would say that, like, the, the primary drive of this film was to... Entertain. Massively yeah. entertain the audience. And it, you know. It's the... It kicked ass. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> what's the insight, really? It's not... It's about... Sacrifice? Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Something. But something then, but then, something like, rather generic. If it, if it was, then, like, like the whole scene with Anna Darmus and stuff wouldn't... Like, that didn't have to be there. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, um... Yeah, that's why I'm saying, like, it has to be this really generic thing. It can't, it's not like talking about sacrifice in a philosophical way. Right, right. Because, um, I mean, even, what, even our villain is, you know just sort of generically evil even though they put such a great act together for it you know right, what I mean? right I mean the whole idea of the villain is right the whole plan is well I can do what you do but better right but I'm going to decide who it's going to be and right. I have my own twisted way of deciding who I'm going to kill right um, right so you can't trust that like you can trust James Bond because he's so noble <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah yeah, but I mean, it was great. Um, who was the who was the cinematographer on it? Well, that would be a good thing to pick. Choose. There was an amazing amount of visual sequences in this. Uh, in particular, when you watch it, audience, um, the scene where the scientist gets stolen away. Oh, amazing! Okay. That is yeah, the yeah. silhouettes on the enemy combatants and the lighting and the color choices. And the set piece of the, uh, the sort of laboratory and the elevator shaft. Mm -hmm. really I feel like I'm going to get this guy's name wrong, but Linus Sandgren. Okay. He did La La Land, First Man. Um, oh, yeah. First American Man. Hustle. Is, oh, yeah. American Hustle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. Yeah, of course. Yep. Of course it's good. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, no. Um, I, I, well, how did I get onto that trip? I like got off something a long time oh yeah this guy the director has a really great way of paying like homage to things without like you know detracting from the story and like it felt like the story always came first you know yeah um like I, I like particularly the like nod to the like James Bond circle you know right before he enters the control room you know and the guy shoots at him and he just yeah, yeah, yeah. turns and shoots you know, that was cool. You know, it's just like, you have this moment that's like, oh yeah, man, this is James Bond. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you know, um, I don't know. Yeah, it hit the tropes well. All of them. It hit them well. It, it didn't seem like it was labored. No. Like they were just going through the process. Well, yeah, they yeah. had some creativity. Yeah. Um, the aspect ratio. I don't, you know, I'm not a gearhead, so mm -hmm. there's probably a lot of 
gearheads listening and fuck you now <laughs> <laughs> but uh i really liked that i liked how full how tall the image was and they yeah. were cutting back and forth between different aspect ratios dude i i sequence. didn't even notice like sometimes i noticed i didn't yeah. notice this time like yeah i barely noticed but i was like oh yeah we're cutting between different aspect ratios because apparently there's something with uh if you want to get how it was intended to be seen you need to see it on a laser projector okay uh, uh an imax laser projector and uh, I really liked how tall the image was. It was really interesting because lately I've been sort of falling in love with like a very ultra wide type yeah. of image, like anamorphic and so on, yeah, yeah. you know. But I, I liked seeing that. I liked how tall it was. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, it that movie really that felt way. like it felt long. Like like it, they did a really good job at um, making because it, it spans a long period of time. You know, they did a really good job at making everything feel like you know. It was a lifetime ago. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, usually, how you do that is, and I love this, and I think, um, I can't remember who I saw do this. I think it might have been Wes Anderson. But um, basically, you use longer um, longer shots, mm-hmm. right, um, earlier on, which makes things feel like they're kind of dragging a little bit, yeah. right? And it makes you really sit with the moments more. And then they, and then you switch to like faster cuts um, yeah. later on, right? And it, it makes those old things feel like you know, yeah, they were from like a different movie even, you know. That's actually something I might want to experiment with at some point. I've always I've always been really interested in um, like how the length of a shot can yeah completely change the emotion behind it. Well, in many yeah. ways, that's a. Uh... It's just like a very basic and accurate way of thinking about filmmaking, which is you're establishing a pattern and then you're deviating on the pattern. Right, right. Uh, it's cool. Which is one of the best ways, I think, to start thinking about how to make films. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... I will say this about the... I am beginning to dislike IMAX. <laughs> <laughs> I never Just thought I'd say of how that. Loud it is. Yes, it yeah. hurts your fucking ears. Yeah, and I mean, it's like at this I, point, I, I don't choose... even want to go to a Dolby theater anymore because I'm like, if I'm getting this in IMAX, like, I remember going to Dolby for Tenet because I was like, oh, I'd rather go to Dolby than IMAX. I was a fucking idiot. <laughs> it just blows your ears out. Yeah, yeah. I, I generally choose like a standard showing, you know, because like the huge theater is enough, and like I get like. For the uh, people who love the richness of the sound, like having this, like basically what happens when you raise the volume of the sound is it fills out the um, outer registers of the sound more, yeah. you know, so you can hear the full scope of it better. Um, no, I like but yeah, it. It, but, didn't, it didn't really hurt me that much, but there are just but, moments. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. I think I feel like they've been turning the bass volume up. <laughs> like a little by little. Yeah, I almost just feel like it's, it's partially the mix and not so much. I think the mix the volume okay. because it's like certain things. Can you you just think maybe they mixed it for standard ears? theaters and they? Because I, I can't know. imagine that they didn't make us an alternate mix for IMAX. Well, it could also just be what speakers they have in this IMAX. You know, you That's just true. never know. Yeah. It's just like you're, it's just a little bit of a, a gamble. Like digital projection and uh, exhibition has allowed for a lot more standardized processes, but there's still deviation there's still a difference between sure, each yeah. individual theater and like I mean theater not um, movie theater yeah not yeah. chain not cineplex sure sure so. 
No, um, I mean, I just watched Venom, and there was a giant fucking tear on the screen. Oh. But I was like, whatever, who gives a shit? <laughs> you know, in the past, the film would be degraded if you watched the movie a month late, so <laughs> who cares? Yeah. That's the kind of thing that would have bugged me. I would yeah. probably watch it and come back to it. <laughs> I remember one time I went to go see uh, Kong Island or whatever the fuck, Kong and Skull Island. Yeah. And I went and sit down, and it's just like, the audio is like talking to me like demons are trying to take my soul away from me. <laughs> and I'm sitting there through the trailers, I'm like, okay, the trailers might be on a just different audio track. Because like, I did Booth when I worked at a movie theater for a little while. Yeah barely did Booth but I, I did a little bit of it so I have a little understanding so I was like okay when the movie comes on it's going to be fine and no it wasn't fine so I walk out and I'm like yo the audio is fucked and they're like oh yeah that's the way it just is today we're fixing it tomorrow I'm like so what's up then like why did you sell me a ticket to this <laughs> like they're like oh, oh, oh I don't know. I'm just sitting in there trying not to get my soul to Satan and you're telling me you could have saved me this uh, oh um one thing that I, so I remember having a, um, a distinct reaction when Skyfall first came out, right? Mm. And like, you know, um, back when it was just Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, like, you know, I was I was saying a lot that like, you know, I feel like this isn't Bond. Like, they're good films, but I feel like it's not Bond. Yeah. You know, and you know um, when. Skyfall came out and he jumped onto that train um, and the the tractor like or the, the I forget what it was called that like um, big shovel construction yeah, machine yeah, yeah, yeah just rips the back of the train off right and he just uh, you know he's barely on the part that's still on and he just fixes his cuffs and moves on yeah, you know and I was like so. holy crap it's James Bond you know and like I think there's this like there's this uh, nonchalant uh, suave like attitude toward yeah exactly yeah you know, and like, um, I loved seeing that back here because I feel like we lost that a little bit in Spectre again. Maybe, maybe not so much. Like, I just think Spectre but, is not great. Like, yeah, I don't think they murdered what it meant to be James Bond. I just feel like they just, they just it wasn't a great movie. film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, you know, it could have been though. Just like, I, and we've talked about this before, but like, and we talked about it a little bit earlier. But like, our fix for Spectre is just that like, they give the exposition that uh, Christoph Waltz gave um, in the meteor room mm-hmm. um, as a prologue at the beginning of the movie just show it you know mm-hmm. don't give it like you don't have it to have any like speaking nothing like that you just show these two orphans that are adopted and you know I, I forget exactly how he uh, kills mm-hmm. the uh, their adopted father but like you yeah. know right? is, is it like an avalanche or something it was something like that right yeah, it was something like yeah. That, yeah um but uh all you need is that moment out of context. You don't need to know that it's James Bond and this guy, you know. But as you watch the movie, you would piece it together. And when you see Bond in that room, um, and you see that picture of like both of them, yeah, like it, it, it'll click, right? And you'll be like, "Oh shit, that was James Bond, this dude." Yeah. Right. Um, and you know, more savvy filmmakers might figure it out sooner, and it's fine, you know. Yeah. Um, but like. Um. Yeah. So, if anyone likes uh, Spectre out out there, we're not saying that it's a complete shit movie. Like, it actually no. is pretty good. It's just like I, I think the exposition was in the wrong spot, and it made it feel like a soap opera. And it yeah, and the it exposition just, was wrong, as you pointed out. And due to that, and that also influenced something else, which is like 
the rhythm of the movie is completely off. Right, right. It's just well, and, and the audience wasn't with the main character for 90% of the movie, which I think is, like, very um, yeah. off-putting for an audience. Yeah. You know, um, there's certain movies where it can be fine, like, uh, There Will Be Blood, because, you know, you're just constantly trying to figure out what this guy's thinking. Yeah, yeah. You know? But I feel like Bond isn't that type of movie. Um, but, yeah. uh... Anyways, um, oh yeah, so the, the kind of like nonchalant attitude, like I, I loved how, like for example, him pouring Anadarmus into him, the shots. Yeah, yeah, and then he goes out gun blazing. <laughs> right, right. And then, uh, or, or like at the very beginning when, when they're um, in that ap- apartment and uh, I can't re- remember exactly what happens, but they're, they're like running out to the car. Yeah. Right. And he like opens the door for it, you know, like... <laughs> And it's just like, you know, you you would think, okay, well, it would be faster to, you know, both just open your own doors, but, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's James Bond. He's going to be chivalrous um, <laughs> in the middle of, you know, people trying to kill him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know. I think it's, I think it's cool having, I, I feel like James Bond almost feels like a superhero. You know, yeah. he, he kind of has that well, he, Yeah, he's like a... What is the that? ultimate He's spot, like a yeah. demigod and Ubermensch, like right, a, right. like a Batman esque, you know, like right. a man that is, a, you know, a man that rises to the power of the gods. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I would say, like, I'm not really like blown away after watching this. I'm not like, you know, no, I was, sitting here. I was pleasantly surprised. I was yeah, because like, yeah. I was a little worried, and I was like, the Me only too. thing in my head was Me like. Too. I think it's the director who did the first season of True Detective and Jane Eyre. <laughs> I think. You're like, I hope. <laughs> I hope. And then it turned out to be, and it was yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was great. I was very. Well, very let me actually use his own works um, as an example. Like, I wasn't blown away like I was at the end of season one of True Detective. Yeah. You know, I wasn't sitting there in the dark just yeah. like thinking about it for. Well, because it's entertainment. Like, yeah, look yeah. at that. Like, exactly. This exactly. guy was doing like deep insight work with like Jane Eyre and True Detective. And then he flipped. And then he flipped it. And, and that's that's exactly what I mean when I say when you are taking on an IP, you leave your ego at the doorstep. Yeah. Right? You're not making your film, you're spearheading an IP. Yeah. Right? And that IP has things that need to be fulfilled. Yeah. yeah. You know? And, like, despite what you, like, despite yeah, who you you're are You're making, director, essentially, you're doing the same thing, like, when you're making a B-movie almost. Is that yeah. you have to fulfill certain genre conventions. And right, right. In this case, replace genre with IP, right? You know, and it, you have to. Period. Well, I mean, it's the same thing that happened with uh, like Harry Potter. I don't know if you've have you seen them. No, I haven't seen them. Okay, it's so, similar to your old Godfather thing, where whenever someone asks me if I've seen them, I swear to God, I'm not going to watch. <laughs> yeah, them yeah. Well, anyways, um, there's there's a bunch of directors that did the Harry Potter films, right? Yeah. And Alfonso Cuarón did the third one, which is arguably the best made film but completely just spit in the face of the whole series and like mm-hmm. they ended up having to fix the problems it created for like many movies afterwards yeah right um to, to for the whole series to even be able to work right well that's even like the new Star Wars trilogy how it's like J.J. Abrams set something up and then Ryan Johnson did something else and then J.J. Abrams comes in and tries to fix it up you know what I mean right right and I'm not trying to take either side in that fight but I'm just saying that's what happened so. Right, right. Well, I mean, they didn't have a clear vision at the outset. Yeah. Um, also, I would, just to throw my two cents, I think bringing uh, the Emperor back 
spits in the face of the entire <laughs> yeah. original trilogy or the original series, right? Yeah. Um, Do something new. There's actually <laughs> well, a bajillion I mean, the whole, stories the, that you could just whole, take and adapt. Right, right, exactly. It's really amazing. Well. You don't have to do this, the Skywalker yeah. series. You literally like, just take any of the stories of, like, the old Republic and adapt them. Right, and it's like... It, it, well, I think the thing that I'm upset about is that, like, the whole point of episode one through six is that they're like, oh, Anakin's the chosen one. He'll bring balance to the Force. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, he fell to the dark side. Horrible, horrible. This all sucks, you know? And then, like, he does inevitably bring balance back to the Force, and it has to do with, like, um, this, like, very intimate, like, moment between a father and a son. Yeah. You know, and that's what brings balance to the entire Force. And it's, like, it's a beautiful story. Yeah. You know? And... Like, bringing the Emperor back after that and be like, oh, well, that actually wasn't the end of the threat. Like... Yeah. So, who gives a fuck about Anakin? Then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> and it's like, that's why I feel like, you know, I don't know. Well, and that's why No Time to Die is an example. <laughs> yeah, of a, of a great... Um, IP. Of a great director coming and leaving an e- his ego at the doorstep and, like, you know, just... And the more I'm talking about it, the more I end up liking this film just because, like... No, it's a good fucking film. Yeah. Like I said, I honestly, Skyfall for me is still the me best too. of the Daniel Craig's. One of the, probably one of the best 007 films, period. But uh, I'd this argue is the best. this is up there with. Yeah, I'd probably agree with you, but I, this is up there with uh, Casino Royale in terms of the Daniel Craig movies. Yeah. Um, it's long too. It's like two and a half hours. Yeah, I think if I think if it didn't end with Bond dying, I would have liked it the most out of everyone. Really. Yeah, and like not because I'm opposed to him. By that? No, um, like not because I'm opposed to Bond dying or the main character in a story dying. Mm-hmm. You know, I just like I get I see what they're trying to do with the like you know like they're they're trying to bring a lot of plot to James Bond, and they're trying to explain a lot of things about him, and like they're you know him ending. You know, they're like, oh well, let's kill him. You know, really? and I, I'm just like. Well, you don't... Like, you could just not kill him and you could just move on to a new Bond. You know, just like they've done, what, ten times before? (laughs) You know? That's true. Um, I kind of like it, though. I like that they went for it. Yeah, yeah. No, it was well done. Um, Like, let me say this. As a director, looking at this as a single film, I I like how it was done and I like it for this film. And it... um, it had a lot of emotional weight. Yeah. You know. Um, but as, like, coming at it with a producer's mindset, being like, okay, well, let's see what Bond is, and, like, do we need to end him? Do we need to make him mortal? Right? Or can we just keep going with Bond? You know, and I don't know if their their goal is, like, to move forward with James Bond with the girl that came in. I think they're just going to restart it. Just start a new James Bond yeah I mean they should just go episodic again you know like yeah we said that yeah like it's I I don't this is this has been my least favorite things about all of these Daniel Craig Bond movies is that they feel so um I feel like they feel like they have to explain everything they they have to like explain every inch of James Bond's character like why he is the way he is with women and stuff like that and I'm like it that's usually not the point of Bond. <laughs> we already you know. know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we already know. We like, know who James Bond is. Right, right. Um, we don't need... Like, 
when Casino Royale came out and like, you know, all my friends were like, oh, it's so amazing. And I was like, yeah, it was a really great movie, but like, I felt like I didn't need to know these things about James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it didn't really, like it was, James Bond was never a character who I was wondering about his backstory. You know? Yeah. No, I think they should, uh, they should uh, embrace episodic. The thing is, there's been a move away from anything to do with episodic storytelling for a very long time. And True. It initially happened in TV, right? You had yeah, a yeah. few hits, things like The Sopranos, which were like the forerunners of things like Breaking Bad, and essentially you had like linear storytelling mm-hmm. in TV took over completely. And the only things you would get away with episodic-wise were like comedies and really shitty soaps you know and even then even comedies that passed themselves off as episodic had to sort of uh kiss the ring of linear storytelling to a degree because even think of something like the office there is a linear story in that even though you can just watch it episodically and it's the same with other things like parks and rec yeah um and i think in the whole that that has come into film but especially in the era of milking franchises and IPs and then being making the big bucks mm-hmm. it's better to keep people invested because the, that's more likely you'll make money because like if you make a really good Skyfall but you don't make a good Spectre you still end up making money sure yeah. that's a good point um, I mean like to be fair like I do I do prefer that type of filmmaking yeah. you know like I, I personally like it more um my point is just that I'm like I mean if if I feel like a lot of people are gonna listen to this episode and think that I'm just like totally contradicting myself from like all the other episodes because like my view of James Bond is so different from like what I view as like good filmmaking you know yeah and I don't know I think I think for example if I ever had to make a James Bond movie like like I I wouldn't bring my own taste to the IP you know, I mean, like, I would bring my own filmmaking, right? right, and, like, my own techniques and stuff like that, but, like, you know, when you're in an IP, it's not about your taste, right? And, like, that was the problem with uh, with Harry Potter, is that Alfonso Cuaron brought his taste. He made a great film, and he fucked over the whole series. I agree. You know? And, like... I mean, this has, like, this is, like, an eternal thing, frankly. I mean, essentially, what you're talking about is almost related to eternity. You even look at, like... I don't know, more like traditional modes of building, like, you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, think of, like, a quaint Japanese village, or, like, sure. you know, like, the only building in Denver I like is the courthouse, because it has, like, Roman pillars, you know what I'm I mean? Sure. And Greek pillars. It's, yeah. like, a similar thing. It's, like, if it's already that thing, then just do that well. Like, don't right. fuck with a classic. Right. Um, yeah, like, I wouldn't... We're going to see a lot of our IPs that we like murder before our eyes, though. I don't mean to dovetail this, but... Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of that's coming. I think there's going to be I mean, it's so been happening much for IP like shit years, coming right? out. Yeah, but, like, I think it's going to go into overdrive. With really? Like, oh, shit. With, like, six, seven streaming services with, like, a fuck ton of money behind them. <clears throat> oh, yeah, huh? I think a like, lot Like, I heard of, that they're doing a Lord of the Rings series. Oh, yeah. I feel like that's going to get murdered. I'm not even going to watch it. I'm not even going to give it a chance. I'm sorry. I can't do it. I can't do it. Maybe that's unfair. I feel like w- the, the thing about it for me is like, what more is there to say you in know. that story? You know? Well, they're not. They're just placing it in the world. That's the thing. Yeah, it's just... When, when it's only for money, you know, there's... 
I'd say there's probably an 85% chance that it's going to be bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Because, especially if it's something insight-driven like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. You know, like, if, there, if there's an insight-driven film that you love or an IP that you love and it's like you take that to... Um, you give that to someone who just wants money, like, odds are they're going to move towards the entertainment side. Mm. You know? Like, and th that's why I love Denny Villeneuve. You know, that Christopher Nolan, those guys that just, like, do blockbusters and do them so well. And, yeah, um, walk that line. Yeah. Speaking of Christopher Nolan, that part when he's, go when he, uh, when Bond, after he gives his sweater to his daughter, you know, and he's going back, and he's going through the, and it's like this whole action scene that follows him down the, that really um, awesomely lit uh, hallway into the spiral stairs, mm -hmm. right? Um, that, that... <laughs> just sounded exactly like like that sounded like they temp scored uh the dark knight mm. um I, I, I wish i could i might be able to pull it up actually the composer or uh, yeah actually let's see who it might have been hans zimmer actually <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised they did a lot of it. they did a lot of the sort of traditional uh, 007 music, like, uh, but as like a cue on moments. Right, right. 007 did something that was so 007. It was on cue music. <laughs> it was on Zimmer. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> so no wonder it sounded like that. Um, All right. This is uh, Nick and Quaid from later. <laughs> in the future. Um, in the future. And we wanted to come in here and just jump in uh, to uh, talk about this audio bit. Um, for the comparison between these two songs, because, uh, you know, I tried to do it justice in the car, uh, trying to like hum the tunes, but I figured it would be easier just to show everyone. Um, so he, here's Quaid with me. And, um, basically I was also incorrect saying that, um, it was the dark Knight. It's actually from Batman begins, which is mm -hmm. not just Hans Zimmer. It's uh, Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard. Yeah. Um, but here, let me let me pull up the uh, song really quick. So here it is. Uh, so I'm going to show you the one from um, Batman first. Right. So go for it. All right. Here we go. Yeah, this is what I was imagining. So yeah, I think this was um I think this was like as he was driving through um on his bike or something. Right? Yeah. Um yeah, some race to the the battle. <laughs> yeah, and then so we slow that that down a bit, right? Um so the tempo is a lot slower, but uh you're going to hear exactly what I'm talking about here. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's it for sure. So same kind of like beat underneath with like uh you know you have these uh strings hitting on every beat, right? The mm -hmm. 
Right. I don't know if that's going to sync up later. <laughs> um, we'll do know. our best. Yeah, you have, <laughs> basically, you have this uh, kind of driving beat underneath you, which is the... Right, with the um, strings hitting on each, like, um, uh, on the top of every beat. Uh, the yeah. only major difference being that uh, the James Bond one, uh, the p- chord progression is a little different here. Um, obviously the whole chord progression is different too, but, uh, here, let me, let me pull you up on here really quick so you can hear what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, so let's see. Um, so we have the, um, so the, the first one has kind of just these, uh, kind of like standard chords, which switches after every four, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the James Bond one, what we have is, uh, what's called suspended chords, right. Which always have to kind of resolve into something. Right. So instead of basically it has this kind of like, a you know, um, let's see. Right. So it has this, like, like if I went from, um, to just this you would feel very like unfulfilled right? <laughs> you really want it to go from uh this to the resolution right okay. so like um basically the james bond one has more of this uh it has more of this kind of like pulling feeling even though it's slower in my opinion all right right um but yeah no uh we're just <laughs> Uh, we just wanted to come back and kind of like explain that because yeah. um, I did kind of a bad job in the car. So here we are no. editing over <laughs> it <laughs> with the actual no, song good. and some piano. But I, I personally believe in bringing the composer on at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you hear the way those people teams. do it normally, how most films are done. Oh, dude, it's horrible. It scares the shit yeah. out of me. Like, how could you Yo, not? No, we're about to release this movie in 90 days. You want to score it? Like, what the f- uh, <laughs> I'm eating my gun. <laughs> like, to, to, to me, that just spits in the face of, like, the composer's art form, too. Because, like, like there needs to be some level of synergy. And, like, I, I've, I've kind of experimented with different ways of bringing score into a film. Mm-hmm. Um... And I think my favorite way so far has been to write the themes first, um, link themes to, uh, to, th- to scenes and moments, mm-hmm. right? And then, um, like, get the whole edit done, put the sound on it, and then attach the score at the end, and then uh, make adjustment cuts yeah. to fit the score, right? Um, because, like, the thing is, like, you know, the score can't just randomly change its time signature and like you know it has to be uh i mean like you can change the time signature but it has to be like part of the song right and it has to sound good and like you can't just randomly change that to like fit and edit you know so like i think it's a lot easier to do small edit adjustments to fit the score after the score is attached so like to have a final cut and be releasing in 90 days and bring on a a composer is just absurd to me Yeah, yeah, yeah you know well, 90 days would even be fucking amazing, frankly. Yeah. Uh, well, three months, if you have yeah. a great composer working, you know, full-time hours for three months, great. 
yeah. you don't have to worry too badly. But like, it's extreme when you hear some people talk about how they do it. Right. Well, I think that's why there's there's been a rise of um, kind of atmospheric scoring because mm-hmm. um, it's a lot. Like you don't have to really like pin that to anything in the scene, right? You just have to get a general vibe. Yeah. Um, um, which like you know can sometimes help, especially if if the music's not supposed to take the front scene seat. But like I would I would argue that the music is, um, you know, m- music is emotion turned into sound. Yeah. Right. If if you have a scene where the emotion of the moment is what drives what's happening. Yeah. For example, the end there when James Bond is dying. Yeah. yeah. The score is super important. Right, super, super, super important, and you can't just like toss it in at the end, right? And I think that's why, um, like, and, and I think Christopher Nolan actually takes a similar approach to this, where he he brings on the composer um, at the beginning, you know. And there's that famous uh, uh, anecdote about him going to Hans Zimmer about uh, your cellar, yeah. you know, before he even started writing, or he he had only written a page, right? Yeah, no, he had, he gave him like a paragraph. Okay, but it was before they started shooting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I, I I personally feel like that movie wouldn't have been as powerful without that score behind it. You know, no, nearly. And there there are a lot of points where the the score takes center stage. Absolutely. Right, and like, um, I think that's really important to understand is that like all these art forms come together in your film, and. Um, that was, that was something that like, um, when I was watching this film, like it, it, it didn't really feel. I mean, it, it was fine because like, you know, it was made for entertainment. Um, but I, I, I didn't really feel like the music, like, meshed at all times. No, it didn't you make know? the movie by any means. Yeah. Um, and and that one part made me just think of the Dark Knight, like, yeah. and it, like, it's fine. Like I feel like it's not going to do that for most people, but just for me, just I, I have, uh, I've always been able to like, uh, uh, just like hear a song and then like play it on the piano. Yeah, you know, so like I can immediately recognize something when it uh, pops up like that. So when that came up, I was like, oh, it's the Dark Knight. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, like, it sucks because that like pulls me out of the movie, but. Um, I guess that's not a negative thing for the movie. Like, they can't... They can't address that kind of thing. Especially, like, when temp scoring has become, like, so popular. Yeah. Um, which... I, I don't really have a problem with temp scoring. Um, I have a problem when they make the final edit with the temp score before yeah. they hire the yeah. composer. You can't, you can't finalize the edit before. That's the... I think that'd be the major... The major no-no. The cardinal yeah. rule. You can't finalize your edit without your music... Right, um, or with music that you're not allowed to use. Yeah, yeah. like that's that's stupid. <laughs> um, but uh, oh yeah, sorry. What I was saying is, I, I think like I like to bring in the score before, um, like b- before the final edit's complete, and then edit actually edit the scene to fit the score. Yeah. Um, and in the Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, one with Andrew Garfield there's yeah. this horrible moment in the score where, where like um, they're playing this general score that's playing over like this fight scene with the lizard at the end and like you know it's 
Captain Stacy's about to get stabbed, right? Mm-hmm. By the lizard. And um, you just have this moment where, like, everything just changes. The whole score is just, like, an overlay of a different score mm. on top of it in that moment. And then they get back to the rest of the score, right? And that that's a clear indication to me that they didn't have the score there before the final edit was made. Mm. You know? Um, but... I don't know. Maybe this, maybe this one did. Um, yeah, I haven't I seen I haven't yeah. seen Jane Eyre, but I would say like at watching uh, True Detective. Yeah, it's not really music heavy. No, and it's yeah. also a little different. You can't. At least it doesn't seem like the industry supports that kind of detailed scoring. Yeah. In a TV show, the closest thing I've ever seen is Max Richter doing the leftovers. Sure. Um, but nothing else in terms of TV has ever come close to that. Yeah, so I guess we have no way of knowing, really. Um, I mean, I couldn't really pick out anything that felt, like, wrong. No, I, I think the, the score, music was good. But, but it, I mean, Hans Zimmer, like, as awesome as he is, is fairly simple in terms of how he scores. I think he probably yeah. did. I think... He, I don't want to denigrate it, because I could be talking in my house here, but I think he probably did very little. Probably. And it was probably just a lot of reworking of the classic 007 music mm-hmm. and interlaying that vote that in the correct moments with a few unique things like when 007's dying or you know towards the end there right that's um, probably what it was it's probably a nice gig right like I, I don't I personally don't see as much like you know film composers they're sort of like uh, obviously they're su- if they're successful they're paid very well but they're kind of like working class guys almost when you think about the kind of work they do you know mm-hmm. I mean they're no, they're they're contract workers. Basically. Well, exactly. There's no longer there's no Mozart's being sponsored by royalty anymore. You know, what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like um, you essentially get to take a job or not take. I a think job. the closest and some of the jobs when... you take, you can't always be excited about them. You right, know right, I mean? right. So, well, I think some of the. Uh, I think the closest thing is when a when a director works closely with a composer like mm. all the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really excited for Hans Zimmer doing Dune. I hope it's really good. Um, Hans Zimmer did Blade Runner, right? Pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he was he was one of two guys that did Blade Runner. Mm. Um, but was the the other guy just the original score? That might have been, okay. uh, or no, I don't think so actually. Okay, but I might be confused. I shouldn't speak on it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's see. Um, no time to die. No time to die. Good Bond film. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. I think sounds good. Yeah, go watch it. (laughs) (laughs) We already told you to. Yeah, we were worried, and it ended up being good. So, cool. All right. See you next time, guys. Bye. Hey guys, uh, we're back again uh, from the future. Uh, (laughs) uh, Just to interject here uh, and to correct ourselves now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean a little uh, bit. Expand upon our. I Thoughts. went and watched it again and I, you know, thought about it for a long time and I really, really love this one. I think it's even better than what um, I thought initially. Uh, the more I think about it, the more I think that it's great. Yeah. Um, and I think we talked about how, um, you know, we weren't sure what the insight was uh, just because it was kind of an entertainment first film, mm-hmm. you know. Um, which obviously is going to make your journey to the inside a little bit more, um, 
uh, snaky, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But on a rewatch, I do think that it really has to do with some. It has something to do with like using your time wisely, because like there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, kind of references to time running out uh, throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, no time to die. Limited. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, yeah. I don't exactly know. I don't know exactly what it is, but um, and then also I wanted to talk about uh, what we were talking about, the Bond tropes. Um, and I think it would be cool if there was kind of like this uh, this usage of a different word surrounding um, IP tropes, because like tropes make sense for like genre conventions. Right. But yeah. I wouldn't necessarily call IPs like a whole genre. Right. Um, so I was thinking it would be cooler if we used, uh, the word tradition, right? So like Mm -hmm. you would have bond traditions, right? And those traditions would be things like, you know, uh, having a henchman with a, you know, very, um, key feature, right? So Mm -hmm. steel hat, uh, uh, metal mouth. And one of the guys in this had a bionic eye, right? He was the uh, henchman. And mm-hmm. then you have them die in like a in you know a crazy way in some way yeah 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 yeah, yeah it's then, a subcategory subcategory yeah, yeah. of convention you know franchise yeah, exactly tradition. yeah so and I, I think using the word tradition feels right because it's just um, you know adhering to them doesn't seem as much of a bad thing as like adhering to a trope which sometimes can be taken in a negative light. Well, also, you've sort of gotten into the root of the word tradition. You know, tradition refers to specific time and place. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you were to say uh, the parallel to convention uh, Mm -hmm. when referring to tradition would be like perennial. Right. Um, So I think you've got the the heart of the word, which is that tradition is specific to something in particular. So that would make sense to call it bond tradition rather than just convention, which is more universal. And therefore you don't want to put that on a a genre or something. Right. Right. And I really think like every single IP has a tradition, right? Um, Mm -hmm. For example, um, one of the big issues that I have with all of the Spider-Man movies since the Sam Raimi one is that they constantly try to avoid saying with great power comes great responsibility. Right. But every single comic does it right. And mm-hmm. it's because it's so important. It's a tradition, right? It's a Spider-Man tradition, right? Mm-hmm. Not having Uncle Ben say with great power comes great responsibility is like having Spider-Man wearing an orange and green suit. You know, like it's um, like I understand if it's something that you're like breaking the mold with, right? Um, like you make uh, a Miles Morales Spider-Man up um, and it's obviously not the same thing, right? Mm. But I think when you're when you're retelling the Spider-Man story or you're, um, you know, introducing Spider-Man into a new universe, it's so important to always keep that tradition there. It's an interesting line of thought, you know, because it's almost as if now that I'm thinking about this, I'm like, damn, if I ever do an IP in the future, something like that, something that has a tradition, probably Mm -hmm. one of the ways in which you could prepare yourself to do that the best way possible is to like study legitimate traditionalists of like different yeah. cultures and talk yeah, yeah. see the way they talk about reviving things and how mm-hmm. they talk about doing new things within the tradition and that'd be an interesting line of thought right and and obviously like you know some traditions can be bad right and maybe like for for example how we talked about how bond is you know uh more sensible with the women now 
you know, that, like his his uh, kind of like chauvinistic side isn't really something that, you know, we need in later bonds. Right. Mm. But to get rid of like every tradition, you know, and really make Bond this like realistic spy thriller, I think was um, kind of the wrong the wrong move. And I think I think maybe the thought behind that was that they couldn't make um, a gritty, more realistic spy movie without these traditions or sorry, with these traditions. Right. Mm. And I think I think uh, our director here uh, proved him wrong. Right. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Carrie something Fukunawa. Right. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, Sam Raimi or, or not Sam Raimi, uh, Sam Mendes proved them wrong as well. Right. With Skyfall. Yeah. Um, and I, I really don't think these traditions are things that you have to get rid of. And that's why I kind of, you know, I, I think we have a lot of these other bond like films that are almost trying to like play off the tradition that was lost. Right. Um, yeah, I like, uh, I mean, this is, uh, you know, at the very beginning of this episode that people have listened to, they've heard our back and forth on this. Right, I don't right. necessarily believe the tradition was lost. Um, but I, sure. I, I get what we're talking about here in terms of rather than refer to it in terms of genre convention, because that does muddy the waters. Mm-hmm. Um, because even think about genre convention, what does spy thriller really have <clears throat> in common with bond? You know what I mean? True. There's some of it, but a lot of it's actually pretty distinct from Bond. Right. So, like, you know, look at like stuff like Jason Bourne. That more accurately describes spy thriller for like the last 20 yeah, years yeah, exactly. than Jason Bourne. Um, I mean, and I think 007. maybe one of the easiest way to figure out what traditions are um, in an IP is to look at the spoofs of the said tradition or sorry, of the said mm-hmm. IP, right? Like you look at things like um, Austin Powers or like <laughs> Perry the Platypus and Phineas and Ferb, right? And these things that are obvious plays off of the James Bond traditions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like the things that they put in there to make it recognizable are these like larger than life villains with the with the crazy space laser type of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And the uh, and the daring escapes and, you know, the gadgets and stuff like that. And, you know, it's like these are the things that anchor um, even spoofs to James Bond. Right. And I don't know. I I think personally, that's uh, that's a decent way of trying to figure out, like, what things do seem like a traditional Bond uh, moment or, you know, trope, I guess. But like. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think having this word of like IP traditions, you know, is going to is just going to help be more specific in the future um, when we're talking about these things. And we can argue about like what the traditions are necessarily. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. The concept's good. Yeah. yeah. I like the concept. Um, yeah. No, I, I like that. I like that in particular because uh, yeah. even like even take the Spider-Man example, you know, superhero convention really doesn't have anything to do with in particular spider-man right or exactly like that so it's yeah. good it's a nice way of and that's how you get better you get better at noticing patterns and you have to vocalize those concepts right um and start you know applying them and see what happens and see if they align up with something else yeah but i think uh that is that was my major problem with bond dying too is just that like it wasn't it's not that it was a um it was bad for the film itself, right? It's just I didn't feel it felt with the traditional 
like sense of what who James Bond was, mm. you know, and like I feel like there's there's a certain aloofness to the entire franchise, right? That gets like how should I say this? Like I almost feel like if the if this is like those producers' last Bond film. You know, because they're talking about this being the last Daniel Craig Bond film and all that. And I feel I really feel like like killing Bond is a is a very like plot oriented way to end um your like Bond series, right? And it, it, it almost feels like, you know, you're putting the character and the IP beneath you by saying, like, oh, without me, Bond's dead. Right. I don't know. I think I think you might be reading a little too into their personal psyche maybe Um, but i think they just had a cool idea and not only that they they applied you know linear storytelling which is far more popular today than it was in the past with all the episodic stuff also like i I mean i I guess i sort of get it because like you know poisoning him and then killing him really made it like bond's choice right which like if he was going to die it would be by his own choice right exactly um but I also felt like maybe, maybe actually even from a uh, plot perspective, it was just like, you know, it felt like it might've been more impactful if they chose one or the other. Right. Well, Either also like I think it aligns with the insight. Right? Yeah. Maybe it does. Yeah. I think it, I think uh, the insight they're going for aligns with that, which is about using your time wisely and uh, you know, no time to die. That sort of evokes, uh, you know, thoughts about, you know, just construct the sentence in your head. It's about you don't yeah. want to die. There's no time that you actually want to <laughs> fucking die. No one wants to do that. Um, So I think it aligns. I think it I, I like it personally. I don't really have an issue with it, but I understand that, you know, some people want 007 to be, you know, he just brushes everything off his shoulder, essentially. Um, Right. Well, I mean, I think it might have even been more. um impactful if you know he just like like let's say they they found out a way to neutralize the transmission of it but like he could never go back right Hmm. um or or just something like that where like you know it might have been even more heartbreaking if he didn't die right um i don't know though because you know i didn't make the movie but um i don't know i i think Personally, I just like I feel that that is part of the tradition anyways, you know, just to like move on to a new one, you know, no questions asked. That's why, like, I don't um, know. We need to be careful about historical realities being interpreted as tradition just because, you know, in the past, people did not have the appetite for linear storytelling storytelling as opposed to episodic doesn't mean that it's engraved into what it means to be 007 to not do sure, something linear. Sure. Um, um I mean this was this was something that I had wished that they had done um in terms of what's it called? Um like Skyfall as well, right? Because I felt like there was a huge missed opportunity in Skyfall to make um 007 and James Bond a moniker thereby like um linearizing the episodic nature of the previous episode of the previous bonds right Mm -hmm. which i thought that would have been really really cool and they could have they could have found a way to keep it like within this linear storytelling but make the episodic nature of the earlier ones part of it yeah right um 
there's actually a hey I, I learned a new term recently about uh mm-hmm. gaming and it's called a ludo narrative dissonance which is where um the the gameplay doesn't actually match the uh plot right mm. so take for example uh that game the division that came out recently right that's like mm. uh you know it, it's a it's set in the near future and there's like you're in new york right and you're yeah. part of this like uh special forces unit that has to go around and like do stuff and i think it's just like an open world type of looter shooter yeah right? looter shooter to the core yeah right right and like um one of the big issues with it, right, in my opinion, was that, like, you know, you have these guys in hoodies with AKs unloading mags of, like, a gun into a dude's head, right? And, like, it, it doesn't kill him because, like, he has too much health, right? Yeah, classic and, leader shooter. Right, right. And it's, like, <laughs> just the thing is, if you, if you pull up forever. a game like Destiny, for example, um, it doesn't have ludo de- narrative dissonance because, one, you're fighting, like, robots and aliens like people have yeah, shields sci-fi. and stuff like that that like stop and like those are the things that get upgraded as you level up and such right mm-hmm. so like it there there's this kind of uh, cohesion between the gameplay and what like you know what's actually happening in the in the story of it right whereas yeah. like when you take something like division the division right um you have this uh weird disconnect right between like the story that they're telling and how the game mechanics are presenting that story right and i was um that that was that was the big um uh just just kind of like along that same vein of thought that was the big thing that i think they missed in skyfall because like if they had if they had like looked into bond's past right and like you know he he looks at his um his like childhood certificate or whatever, right? The it was like some adoption something. I can't remember what it was, yeah, yeah. but um you saw his name, right? And it mm-hmm. said James Bond and I was like if it had a different name there, right? Of of like, you know, he he had this like childhood and his name wasn't James Bond before. And like it like what we get introduced is that like 007, right? Whoever whoever is 007 gets the title james bond right Hmm. what they could have done was they could have taken this um this episodic thing which i would say that like the episodic like my argument earlier was the episodic nature of james bond was part of the tradition right Hmm. um what they could have done was they could have taken that um episodic nature and they could have it's something that is dissonant to the story of james bond right but what they could have done was they could have meshed it like very tightly into into the whole thing so suddenly they're like oh no like all of these people were people that had the title james bond as 007 right Mm -hmm. but they were like they were other people before they they acquired that 00 status yeah and therefore you're able to just in a snap of your fingers put all of the stories together in one world right It, it, it was such a missed opportunity and i was i was like you know, I, I was really hoping that uh, they were going to do that. And, you know, when they were getting up to that point in Skyfall, I, w- I got really excited and, and I was kind of let down. But it's not Skyfall's fault. I just yeah. had a like cool idea, you know, <laughs> and it just didn't get fulfilled. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I think like if idea. they had done that right, I think they could have not only fulfilled the episodic nature of James Bond through, you know, um, 
Sorry, they could have not only fulfilled their their objective of telling a linear James Bond story, but they could have also stayed true to the episodic nature of all of the James Bond films that came before them. You know, and instead of it being episodic film to film, it could have been more like like what they could have pushed James Bond towards in the future would have been like episodic uh, within a series of films. And then we get a new James Bond. Right. I thought that would have been really cool. I don't know. But yeah, that, that would have been cool. That would have also fixed my problem with him dying at the end here. Right. Um, because I wasn't a f- huge fan of them, like ending James Bond's story when they were done with their episodic bit. Right. Which is like, you know, I don't think they're done, though. I think these people have a life gig. Uh, you think so? Uh, yeah. Do you, I, do you think they're just sure going like totally linear with the with the Bond universe and they're just like. Well, the people that are in charge of it, they get hired to be in charge of it. Like the, there's a couple yeah, producers, yeah, totally. two or three. They are the ones that are simply in charge of. Yeah, they Bond. become showrunners, right? Because everyone's trying to yeah. like. That's the thing is everyone's trying to make Marvel now. You know, mm-hmm. so maybe maybe the issue that I'm having is not that he's dead, but more that they're centering the James Bond universe more on the world that he exists in and not him, which I think is actually a mistake. Right. Because I think so many, like, I don't know. I I think that like the James Bond world isn't like super exciting as, as like a world. Right. Cause it's basically just ours. Right. It's more like this, this, like extremely incredible spies interaction with our world that we love. Right. And like, like it's, it's one of those things where like, you know, you know, like building the Kingsman universe is different, right? Because you can switch characters in that because the world's super interesting. Right. Because it's, Mm -hmm. it feels very fantastical and it feels not of this world. So it's really something that you can build up in that capacity. But I think with James Bond, you know, it's really just about him, you know? Yeah. Like, I I don't know if, I don't know if focusing on, on the, the world surrounding him is the right idea. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I don't know if they actually, if that was their thought process, but, uh, I do hope that, uh, they just, uh, have uh you know actual good commitment in their hearts to just trying to make good movies i can forgive them mistakes and failures uh but that's all i really just want at the right right is for them to just attempt to make good movies and if that means they uh try new things or commit to old things whatever it may be i can forgive them for any of it i just want them to try to make good bond movies and you know they actually have been involved in making some pretty good bond movies as it is so that's true this one skyfall I guess I am hard on them, even though they've made what I consider to be the best Bond movie. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> good. So I don't know. I guess maybe right. I might be being a little too. No, hard. I like what you say. What you're saying is good, and it's true about a lot of things. Um, but you know, you know my take on this. I'm a little less um, rough on these new ones than you are. Um, but you have valid points. You know, I think so. that's actually a testament to Marvel as well, because like so many people are trying to imitate what they're they're doing. And like so many people dog on Marvel movies. Right. Mm. And like say that they're crap and like as individual movies, they might be like kind of right. Sometimes I wouldn't say that they're ever crap. Maybe you say for the exception of one or two. But um, yeah, like. 
it's it's about it's about the the entirety of it right like that's Mm -hmm. that's the feat of the marvel universe and i think like you see these other like when dc trying to do it like they just you know yeah they were impatient they they jumped straight to avengers right yeah um like if 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 the avengers was the first marvel movie it would have flopped right absolutely like it it was only great in the context of how they built it up right and like i think that um you know marvel has a lot going for it in that in that right where you know they they built up their whole universe the right way and patiently but also they have something that's um you know of the world right like the world of it is what's interesting right Mm. um it's fantastical it's not of this world so like getting to explore it is um interesting no matter who you're uh whose eyes you're looking through right and i think that's why like a lot of other attempts kind of fail because you you are missing one or one or more of the elements that made marvel into what it is um it's kind of upsetting because they could have they could have done that with star wars too um and they tried i just don't think they well also there's a bunch of unique things about star wars as well where they were just repeating they literally just repeated the classic trilogy and i I think the the issue is that like they did that they technically did that with marvel like i this is this is my one major criticism of the marvel uh, universe and it's that almost every single one of those films is a repeat of iron man one right oh yeah big time um big time which is fine, right? I would say that there's a few notable exceptions, like uh, what's it called, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Um, but you know, I think that majorly had to do with who they put in the driver's seat. Um, well, we should do a giant episode on Marvel in and of itself. Frankly. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll finish. That um, um yeah. but basically, my my whole point is that, like, you know, um, with Star Wars, there was just this, um. I think they had this a similar mentality going into Star Wars thinking, oh, we have to just redo what's already worked. Right. Mm-hmm. And it it just wasn't the right uh tone, right? Because like you have these six movies that are very self-contained, and trying to repeat half of them was just a mistake. Mm-hmm. Right. And like what they what they needed to do was make Iron Man make Star Wars's Iron Man one right and move on from there but like i think what they really required was you know they needed to do something that was fresh and original and bring that to the star wars universe and if it did well copy that right but i don't know i don't know um anyways how that relates back to bond i just i think that if they try to go into like this whole um building of the universe surrounding james bond um they're going to end up just shooting themselves in the foot because, you know, um, I mean, you know what though? We did make, we did make the point earlier that bond has an element of sci-fi in it, you know? Yeah. But they don't, they don't need to create an expanded bond universe. I think what they have been doing, just keeping it centered on bonds, you know, quests. Well, that's what I was saying would be the right decision. Right. I think that they should definitely do that. Right. And so but far, they, start, they haven't given us indication that they're looking to do in a Bond expanded universe. That's so true. That's true. We'll be fine. 
So <laughs> it could just be like whoever comes next is the new James Bond, right? Um, yeah, exactly. That's all they're going to do is they're going to start from one, like every Bond movie is done, and we'll just start off. And Bond will be Bond from the very beginning. See, um, I hope, I hope we've that's never the had case. an origin. So. <laughs> you know, but like, I think it will be. But the the linear nature of all the stories up to this point makes me almost think that they're just going to like keep the same cast. You know, um, maybe the the one girl who was 007 in this one becomes like 006 oh, no. or something, and then they do. I don't think so. Double <laughs> O six. They're going to just start from scratch. I think you know? all these actors got a nice fucking paycheck for being a side character in the Bond movies, and uh, they're just going to start from scratch. They're going to have a new M, a new Q. That new would be Bond, the correct decision, design. I think, for Bond. Um, and I think that's the this, that's been the roadmap <clears throat> for all Bond films, pretty much. When they try someone new, they just start from scratch. So, yeah, you know, it's upsetting well, though because now they can't do the whole like, oh, James Bond's just a moniker uh, thing because they they made this guy James Bond as a child. <laughs> yeah actually you know what maybe they could though hold on hold on maybe they could because they could just do the next film as and this this maybe this guy was like the original bond or whatever and then the next one has like a new guy as james bond you know Hmm. i don't know i don't know well we'll see you know and in the future if we're still doing this podcast hopefully uh, and the next one comes out we'll be able to you know replay some audio here if they yeah. fuck it up and <laughs> claim that we called it. And if not, we'll not play our audio and we'll just say they did great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Well, anyways, we should probably end this because tonight, guys, in our next episode mm. is going to be Dune. And we got to that's about it an hour, yep. a little over an hour from now. So I got to go pick up Nick. So watch Dune. And uh, so you can listen to the fucking episode. And I will find some interview with the director here. Uh, where he says some interesting stuff. So, awesome. sweet. Yeah. All right. See you guys. Bye. He is my favorite iteration of Bond, and I think it's because of the complexity he's brought to the character and the vulnerability and the the sort of the the, the brutal sort of uh, potential for violence. Uh, I think that's a it's an interesting combination there, and. Um, to be able to to take those skills and apply them now to, he, now he has wisdom, right? He has all this experience he's brought in over the last 15 years of doing these films, uh, not only as a, on the filmmaking side, but also on the character side. And there's a lot to play with there in terms of how interesting and how multifaceted of character he is now. I liked the idea of a villain who, when they look at themselves in the mirror, doesn't see them as a villain doesn't see themselves as a villain, they see themselves as a savior, as, a, as someone who could lead humanity into its next phase. And uh, I thought Rami, with all his complexity and his intelligence, and you can see that intelligence in his face and his eyes and the way he thinks, you know, it's, it's there. And um, he was the perfect person to sort of take that, that, those ideas, that character, and run with it. So those were our initial conversations, and we had a sort of dialogue going back and forth, and as the character sort of came to, to, to be what it was he was a part of that the whole way I'm very excited with it I think the things you see in this Bond film which people expect but are also very excited to see are the cars what the cars do the gadgets what's Q gonna give him to save the world this time what are the things we've never seen before what are the impossible situations that he somehow finds his way out of
their creative vision and the way they work together, because I think that is key, costume and production design, half, it's, they're not two separate elements, they're all on screen together. And, and um, Sudarat, you know, brought so much knowledge and expertise with her team, but also just um, <clears throat> sort of tireless passion, uh, trying to find the right clothing for, for characters we've seen many times before, but still make you know, that, little, that little difference in there. But also for the new characters and the, the, the sort of uh, the larger masses of soldiers and bad guys and, and, and uh, villains, uh, to give them a, a look that felt you know, fresh and new. Leia Sidhu is also uh, an amazing actress and an actress that I've wanted to work with for a while. Um, I, th I think she's uh, incredibly fascinating to watch on screen. Um, the internal life is really strong. And so in this film, I wanted to give that a chance to breathe. I wanted to see her uh, in all her layers, um, you know, be firing at once. And part of that was bringing in some of her backstory, bringing in uh, a sense of understanding, for the audience at least, uh, of who she is and, and why she's become that person. And then by understanding that, understanding why then getting it, you know, why she's the right person for Bond, why Vesper Lynn wasn't maybe the right person for Bond, even though there was that great love story there. But she is the yin to his yang. And um, the, um, the potential there, because of her backstory, it's almost like if you just drew from all the little snippets you had from Mr. White in the earlier films to what Madeline said in Spectre, there was a lot to play with to, 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 to bring to the screen again and bring to life some of the stories we've heard and then glimpse all, uh, deeper truths, things that we didn't actually hear in those stories that um, are seeds to the, the ultimate uh, uh, danger in the film.